My name is Tanya Avalos, and this morning's scripture reading is from Psalms. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading Psalm 15, verses from the New International Version. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts, and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. This is the word of the Lord. I'm really excited to introduce today's speaker to you. Uh, some of you know John Lindbergh. Uh, I've gotten to know him over the last three years. Uh, he reached out to me and offered to take me to Alki Beach and buy me uh, fish and chips. And we've done that now three times. Uh, and uh, we've had uh, Vietnamese noodles together. We've had dinner in our house. And uh, every time he opens his mouth and speaks, I think he thinks he's just talking, but I just hear wisdom and feel uh, the weight of life behind the words that he speaks. And I've really appreciated uh, everything that he said to me and the nature of his presence and the way he uh, relates to his wife, Polly. Everything has been such a, um, a point of observation and learning for me. And I'm really excited to invite him up here today and share from his life and Psalm 15. So without further ado, here is John Lindbergh. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. I have to comment about our pastor. You know, when he asked you to do something, it's awful hard to say no. You know, he came from the East Coast, and he commented about fish and chips. It's going to take a while for fir trees to grow out of his ears and salmon scales to come on his back, but it's coming. <laughs> My name is John. I'm a sinner. And I stopped to think about it the last few weeks and when I've had this assignment. It uh, kind of led me to a little bit of depression. Uh, going my own way to work hard to look a little better than the next guy working for myself just didn't seem to add up. But thankfully, God has provided me a way through Jesus Christ who has forgiven my sin when I confess it. In fact, he even forgets it. I haven't forgotten it, but I thank God that he forgets it. It gives me strength to walk each day. And this, of course, is the promise God gives to all of us when we realize the status we really have in our life. So thank God for what he promises us through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, I was curious as to why the pastor should ask me to converse with you people. You know I'm not a preacher. 
I'm a physician. I professionally learned more how to listen than to speak. And now here I am speaking in front of you. Maybe it's because of my age. I think I probably am older than all of you. Also, maybe it's because I represent the past. And obviously, I'm probably the only one wearing a suit today, except for James Cassan. (laughs) But he doesn't have a tie on, and I do. (laughs) I also have a white shirt, and he doesn't. Now, everybody wore white shirts with ties when I was younger. At school, I had a white shirt and tie, except when I was in the Navy. In the hospital, it was a shirt and tie. At church, you always had a white shirt with a tie and a suit or a sport coat. So here I am representing the past. Also, you notice I don't have a laptop. I don't, I don't have a PowerPoint. I am conceding to a modernity with the microphone. But when I was young, there were no microphones, and people spoke out. In fact, at the Sunday school Christmas session, my uncle bribed my brother and myself five cents for a package of gum for the one who would speak the loudest at the Christmas program. Well, you can bet your boots for that nickel we spoke plenty loud. (laughs) So I represent the old, but interestingly enough... uh, God doesn't lead us into the past. As followers of Jesus Christ, he leads us into today and prepares us for tomorrow. So I'm not really feeling bad. All of you are in sports shirts, shorts, and slacks, and comfort. Keep it up. The Lord's going to lead you as you follow him today and into tomorrow. The other thing is I told Pastor Peter that it would take me about 90 minutes. He didn't like that. I I think you're probably on his side, so I'll work hard to shorten it. But I won't quite be limited to the stages of life as quoted by Arden Adele. And you've maybe heard this before, but it consists of spills, drills, skills, thrills, builds, ills, pills, and wills. Well, Polly and I have our will, so maybe I can sit down. But I will continue a little longer. All my grandparents grew up and came from Sweden. Bob, my twin brother, and I were born to Christian parents a long time ago, several years before Lindbergh flew the ocean. And and you remember reading today about this tremendous flight from Japan to Hawaii on a solar-powered plane. What what an event. The first election that I remember was Roosevelt's contest against Hoover. And uh, that signaled the end of Prohibition, which was very, very concerning to my folks. And... uh, (coughs) As I've read, there are, apparently were a lot of problems with prohibition. But one thing you may not know, uh, it happens that the deaths from liver disease dropped significantly during prohibition. 
And as soon as prohibition was over, the deaths from liver disease started to rise again and now continue to be a significant height. Uh, So there was some benefit in whatever one may think about the time of prohibition. Uh, The Depression made a strong imprint on my life and on all our lives, those of us who had to experience it. Uh, There was not a lot of money around. My father did his dental work for trade oftentimes. I still will pick up a penny off the road if I see it. I find out, I find that I have difficulty discarding something that still can be used. Polly can attest to that, because I do collect a few things. And there was a time when uh, I thought it was okay to darn a sock. And uh, so, so it has been a real imprint on me, but my child, our childhood was truly happy. We grew up in a loving Christian home, and our, li- our early life consisted of church and Sunday school, of camps, uh, youth groups, and uh, I did make my childhood commitment to Jesus Christ uh, at an early age. But... <clears throat> Interesting, growing up in a Scandinavian church of immigrants, my observation was the first generation, especially of men, left the church. And as I reflect on it, they probably left because they wanted to get away from Sweden and join America. And uh, they wanted to become part of what was younger. As I've matured and gone through several stages of existence in church today, I've noticed kind of a reverse. Our congregation now is filled with younger people with families, and who have left? The older people. A number of them, not everybody. I'm still here, and I'm pretty old. But I reflect they probably left because uh, they could not get separated from what was in the past and had to leave in order to search for it. It's an interesting reversal that uh, may may be totally incorrect, but it's something that's crossed my mind. I thank God for this church. I'm committed. It's my family. I love you. Growing up, was at Madrona Grade School, Garfield High School, University of Washington, at which time the war began. I joined the Navy Reserve, started pre-med because I thought this was going to be an area, a possible area of service as a career. And uh, as a freshman in University of Washington, I was confronted with my faith. What was my faith? I found out that I was unable to write a good defense of my faith made me feel very, very ill at ease. In fact, I wondered if I really had something that's worth keeping and whether I was going to have to give it up. I could not prove God. But I realized that Jesus Christ walked this earth. He was crucified. He was resurrected, a real person who showed who God was and who God is. And I could not leave that alone. I committed myself, without telling anybody else, to Jesus Christ for my life. 
And at that time to his church, which for me was the covenant church, I realized that the church had much more to give to me than I was going to be able to give to it. And so that was part of my Christian experience during freshman year at the University of Washington. And uh, But it raised number one question of several that I will raise today. Is there a God and is he real? People are still asking that today and and our uh, uh, town square suggests that uh, those who have faith in the Lord through Jesus Christ are old-fashioned and out of style. I don't find that particularly correct. It's not, it seems to me like it takes more faith for a person to say, the heavens declare the glory of, ra- of uh, uh, chance and reason. I find it much more comforting to say, the heavens declare the glory of God. Having put my faith in the Lord, I later on, years later, in fact, ran across this quote by Simone Weil that that really does have a consequence. And she, I quote her as follows, if there is a God, it's an issue, something that requires radical rethinking of every little thing. Your knowledge of God can't be considered as a fact among many. You must bring all other facts into line with the fact of God. I think that's a strong statement. Uh, Life went pretty fast after starting at the university. I was accepted to medical school at Northwestern in Chicago and uh, began a very exciting time in my life. I took the train on the 26th of December uh, 1943 to Chicago And I guess that was the beginning of my long love of trains. Um, I was just recently on the train to Montana and enjoyed every bit of it. Uh, Take the train sometime. You might like it. But I flunked out my first anatomy exam at medical school. That was um, a very sobering event. I had visions of being sent to the Marine Corps uh, if I continue that pattern of activity at school. And uh, however, I did get through school. And it was a wonderful medical school, and it gave me a, gave me a great bright background. I was able to do some research after my internship in Chicago for a year and a half, and then embarked on a residency in internal medicine at the Veterans Hospital, Hines, Illinois. And uh, stayed on the staff for a year and a half, and following which, 1955, we moved to Seattle. And cold turkey opened up a practice in internal medicine, and I continued that practice for 36, 35 years. And following that time, I had 11 challenging years as medical director for Medicare for the state of Washington and Alaska. And... Uh, <clears throat> until 1911 was doing some consulting in Social Security uh, and finally uh, did retire in 2011, excuse me. (laughs) Wow, well, you all just have to give me a few concessions this morning. 
It's been an honor and a privilege to practice medicine. And I would certainly do it again. And any younger person who's contemplating the medical field would receive my encouragement. Uh, Really, Obamacare is not the end of the world. And people still get sick and need help. And to have the privilege of participating in that help is something that I think is wonderful and is something that uh, uh, can be God-ordained. The Navy was a big part of my life. Uh, I had to go in because I would have been in the draft if I didn't get in the reserve, and I had always uh, uh, been attracted to the Navy. And it was activated in 1943 at the University of Washington, Spent three months on the campus of the Navy and then three months in the hospital at North Seattle before going to Chicago. And was uh, released from active, active duty in, 19, in the end of 1945 and then recalled uh, in October of 1950 during the Korean War. And amongst 500 uh, doctor, Navy physicians recalled at that time, all of us were assigned to the Army for eight months because they were short of physicians. And I was one of 16 sent to Europe, and I never had any idea how that happened. So I was assistant chief of medicine at the 57th Field Hospital in Gießen, Germany. Sounds pretty important. But it was enough work to keep my conscience clear, more money than I had made ever, and more free time than I ever had had in medicine. So you can realize that I I had an amazing experience in Germany. And... but I connected after coming out of active duty. I stayed in the reserve for 30 years and considered it a real privilege. But it raises question two. As a follower of Jesus, how can I relate to God and country and the military? This is a question for most young men and now many women. Uh, I respect very strongly the conscientious objector, the true conscientious objector. But I am not on that side. Although I am in medicine and never never required to bear arms, I support those who do. And war is horrible, and everybody knows that, of course. But uh, at times, it seems that it is necessary. And so I am thankful for our country under God. Yesterday I had the privilege of attending the naturalization service at uh, Seattle Center and helped pass out flags with the uh, American Legion. That's a great experience. Can you believe yesterday 501 people from 85 nations acknowledged allegiance to the United States of America? It was just amazing. And they didn't do it because of all the problems we have in America. They did it because we have inalienable rights granted by our Creator for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thank God for America. 
And I, I, I uh, would go back on active duty if I was called tomorrow. Of course, I'm old enough not to have to go. <laughs> but I do resonate a great deal to a quote by a Marine Corps chaplain, Father Dennis Edward O'Brien. It goes like this. It's the soldier, not the reporter, who is given freedom of speech. It is the soldier, not the campus organizer, who has given us freedom to demonstrate. It is the soldier who salutes the flag, who serves beneath the flag, and whose coffin is uh, draped by the flag, who allows a protester to burn the flag. So I thank God for America. I, I thank God that I will be, when he calls me home, my body will be placed in the earth with the flag at Tahoma Cemetery, and uh, I consider this a privilege. Many people think it's an empty cliche, God bless America, but it's not an empty prayer. God bless America, a land of the free land. <clears throat> Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. So I give great thanks. Now, I lead to, that leads me to question three. What is sacrifice, even unto death, so important for redemption? Why is it? Well, of course, I haven't really answered that question. It's something that's going to could have challenged me for probably the rest of my days. But interesting, literature and art is constantly, uh, uh, well, it constantly struggles with this question. Uh, there are many examples, but I'm, I'm thinking a couple of, of real good ones, and you may probably not, may or may not have seen two films, West Side Story and Grand Torino. But both uh, are real films of sacrifice and redemption. And then the major sacrifice, Jesus Christ uh, on the cross, is major demonstration of God's love. But then it occurs to me, resurrection is not possible except through death. Uh, maybe that's an answer, certainly part of it, but it's still... Why didn't God make it so all we had to do was good things in order to get our redemption? Instead, it seems to be that sacrifice is so very important. But then also, it leads me to the thought, how much God loves us. I can't give you a little conversation about my experience without talking about Polly. Uh, we met in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, she grew up in a delightful family full of God's love. And she became an interest to me uh, before she was ever aware of it. And instead of growing like a seed into a plant, it was more of an explosion for me. And uh, while in Germany, I corresponded with her uh, in a kind of a getting to know you brother-sister way, thinking that maybe she'd send me a letter that she wasn't interested because she had plenty of boyfriends in her life. I knew that, too. 
But uh, 10 years, 10, uh, let's see, 64 years and 10 days ago today, I arrived back from Germany and was visiting with her and her sister and husband in Chicago, and it was a lovely summer evening. Polly and I were walking somewhere in South Chicago. I, that was not as important as the fact that I was together with her and popped the idea that we might be engaged, and lo and behold, she said yes. Uh, that was so amazing to me because I did not have any real thought that she was going to be able to do that. Well, it's been a wonderful ride since then, let me tell you. Uh, far greater than my most earnest prayer and imagination to be with Polly. She's filled my life with joy, beauty, love, fun, friendship, delight. Uh, her life is full of uh, love of babies, love of animals, love of flowers, love of books, and love of me. I'm on the list. Now, if you think I love Polly, you're absolutely correct. She's wonderful and a gift of God to me and to our family. Uh, three real crises came into my life where it was a true risk. And uh, maybe more that I don't know of, but I know of three, and they were very definite. And one was a time uh, of driving uh, to Galesburg, Illinois, at the end, about 1950, with six people in the car which had a blowout tire and completely turned, and all six of us got out on the highway uninjured, wondering how that could happen and thanking God right in the middle of the highway. It was a straight road, and we all came out alive without any essential scratch. Um, that was amazing. 1990, I had cancer of the colon, and followed by a year after surgery of, of uh, chemotherapy, and the Lord saved me, kept me alive, and I was very much aware of his presence at that time. Also, just this last week, uh, I've made much very aware of it in reading about this wonderful person, the president of Washington State University, Elvin Floyd, who died of uh, cancer of the colon at 59 years of age. It's just a flowering person, a great beauty in his life, and he's gone. But here I am in front of all of you. And then th this year I broke a leg, but 10 days later, fainted on the way to the bathroom in the morning, having uh, suffered from clots going into my lungs from uh, uh, thrombosis in the right leg. And uh, many people don't make it through that. But here I am again, uh, giving thanks and talking, conversing with you folks this morning. I know what it is to uh, what uh, survival guilt's all about. And I deal with that. Every time I think about it, I deal with it. What does God have in store for me as a result of these things, these healings that have come in my life? It's a very strong thing. So that's question four. Why me? You've heard that question before, I'm sure. Now, uh, very quickly, uh, when I was a resident... 
Uh, a leader in the covenant, Paul Brandel, uh, challenged me, uh, said, John, and yet some of you have heard this, John, but uh, life goes very fast, and you will only have a chance to get involved in one or two things that are greater than you during your life. And if you wait till you're older, it'll be too late. Uh, so consider getting involved early in your life. Well, I, I was um, reflecting on that, and uh, how does the Lord lead you into things? What, how can you determine his will? For, and at this particular time, uh, it seemed to me that if I had an opportunity to do something, that I should say yes, which I did in my mind right away. And then I would say I would have to give it some time to decide the yes or the pluses against the minuses. And if the pluses uh, still added up, then I would say yes to the opportunity. And uh, this has led, had led me into the Christian Medical Dental Association, which was a fellowship that began at Northwestern, really, in, 19, in about 1939. I was there in 1943, so it was early. And <clears throat> has continued on. I had privilege of some leadership. And uh, it's been a real help to Polly and me. Uh, as we've gone through our professional life. And today the organization has about 15,000 members, has a very significant ministry of physicians and other medically oriented people throughout the world, and a significant voice in Washington in the public square. Also, uh, the doors opened uh, in our covenant denomination. I had the privilege for being on several boards and to, to know the, the depth and the commitment to service uh, that exists in our, in our denomination and still does today. I give thanks for that. And I still have a continuing involvement with the Salvation Army uh, 1957, uh, Dr. Jack Brown and, and uh, the Major Paul Bodine from the Adult Rehab Center in Seattle came up and said, we want to start a clinic, will you help? And uh, I did and went down and I haven't left the Salvation Army since. Why? It's an amazing organization. They meet all human needs in the name of Jesus Christ without discrimination. Involves substance abuse, domestic violence, homelessness, pregnant teenagers, disasters, uh, prisoners, you name it. And the Salvation Army exists in ministry in 126 countries today. So my, my suggestion to you, especially younger people, uh, don't be afraid to get involved when someone opens a door of opportunity in front of you. With the Lord's blessing, step right in. Uh, you'll love it. Early in our marriage, we lost about th at least three pregnancies that we knew of. And uh, uh, it was a question of what our family might be like. But God has gifted us with five children and 13 grandchildren. Two of my sons are with me today. Uh, they're, I'm sure they're keeping track of what I'm saying. Uh, but they've, they've just been a wonderful gift. 
Uh, not without problems. We all have problems. But uh, the joy is far exceeds any of the problems that we face. And I've fallen short in uh, being the best father. Uh, but I, I know I've had the privilege of being a father. I love them. They love me. I like to brag about them. I pray for them, and I've given them back to the Lord. And uh, all my family does not walk with the Lord, but I'm not without hope. I have a couple of quotes regarding family. This is from John Whitehead, a human rights attorney. Quote, children are the living living messengers we send to a time we will not see. Living messages sent to a time we will not see. I like that. But then uh, uh, the psalmist also hits it maybe stronger on the head. This is from Psalm 71. Since my youth you have taught me To this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O Lord, until I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. I think that's great. And think about it. It's 2,800 years old. Still very much alive. So as my family has grown and and we have grown together, Uh, It gives me question five. Is living the Christian life different than being a Christian? My thinking moved in that direction. Reading about surveys where there's much greater criticism of Christians and there's much uh, indication that Christians don't seem to manifest themselves any different than anybody else in terms of the problems of our society today. Brought me a... caused me to think quite a bit. And uh, so, uh, and this question did raise. And I began to try to put it together. And in in 2004, developed a uh, a John and Polly vision for our family, which started to put a little focus. And and, uh, writing it down uh, just helps focus. And this is kind of simple, and maybe it's even a little crude, but I haven't changed it. Uh, Number one, that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we bet our lives that God is right, and that he has revealed himself in the Bible and in Jesus Christ. Two, that we make our spouses the highest priority together with our children, that we take the we approach instead of the I approach. Three, that we respect others as God's creation. Four, that we learn the joy of giving. Five, that we become debt-free and learn to make money our servant, not our master. Six, that we learn how to have fun and be fun in the process. So that's a simple little vision. But then uh, the scripture for today Puts, I think puts it in sharper focus as to what the Christian life is all about in, ter- in contrast to just being a Christian. Psalm 15, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? 
He who walks blameless and does what is righteous, who speaks truth from his heart, and who has no slander on his tongue, and who does his neighbor no wrong, and who casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises the viral, the vile man, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury, and who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. That's a pretty high bar, of course. I haven't reached it, but uh, why have a bar unless it's high? And this is one, thank God. Uh, Also, uh, the Christian life, like life, is daily. And there's something about daily that becomes uh, tiresome. Wow, I'm almost through. Um, So I I put together a little uh, uh, kind of an outline or a possible discipline that I presented to my family. And uh, it goes like this. Uh, It's titled Change. And if one were to consider this discipline for a period of time, our lives would change forever. It's just inevitable, in my estimation. In the morning, follow what Jesus said. The most important commandment is this. The Lord your God. The Lord is one. The Lord is your God. with all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this. This was taken from Mark. Then in the evening, close the day with the Lord's Prayer. You all know the Lord's Prayer, but it's still full of life. But during the day, consider this. For this very reason, make every effort to your... to uh, effort to add to your faith goodness and to your goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love for if you possess these things qualities in an increasing measure they will keep you from becoming ineffective in our or, or and productive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's bound to change us, this little exercise. But then you'll notice the top of that uh, list of characteristics is love. And that's my, my final question. Is divine, spontaneous, altruistic love the fundamental or prime reality of our existence? It occurs to me that if it is, and maybe it is, God is love. So I start, who is God? I end with God is love. So I have the following, we end with the, follow, with the six questions. Is, is love the fundamental prime reality? Is living the Christian life different than being a Christian? Why me? As a follower of Jesus, how can I relate to God and country? Why is it that sacrifice even unto death is so important for redemption? 
Is God God? Is Jesus of Nazareth really who he said he is? So I leave you. What are your questions? May God give us guidance as we contemplate questions in our life. To God be the glory.